Welcome to episode four of Uprooted, the podcast from the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. I'm Josh Wise. This month is Farm to School and Early Care Month, and IATP has been running a pretty robust Farm to Institution program here for a while. Here to talk about it are Aaron McKee and Katie Costello. Later in the podcast, we're going to be joined by Ben Lilliston to talk about the Local Farms Act, which was just introduced in Congress last week. All right, Aaron, let's start with you. So IATP kind of runs the gamut of issues and avenues in which we're working, um, arenas in which we're working. Um, you know, we do a lot of work on the international level. We do a lot of work on federal policy, and we've done some work on state policy here in Minnesota. Farm to School is a very localized effort, uh, one of the most local things we do. Talk about why IATP has a farm institution program how that fits kind of in this broader context of our work. Well, Farm to Institution is a really interesting program at IATP um, because we do, in this program, we actually do on-the-ground implementation work. Um, we also do the more traditional for IATP research and analysis um, and policy work as well, but we like to inform that work that we do with the on-the-ground experience of working with real partners who are trying to do these programs. And ITP has been working on farm to school for quite a while, especially at the K-12 level. Um, and we came at it really from the farmer perspective. So a lot of partners that we work with across the country work on these programs because of public health. And of course, we care very much about creating a healthy public, a healthy food system as well. But we really wanted to A lot of people are familiar with the farm crisis that happened in the 80s where farms were getting bigger and bigger and consolidating. And at the same time that we lost a lot of the small farms, we also lost a lot of the infrastructure for those farms to support the farms getting the food from their fields to the plate. So those um, processing facilities that can take the product from the farm and actually wash it and chop it. And also the delivery vehicles that can take it from the field to the place where it's actually going to be cooked or eaten. Um, those things have been lost as well. And so it's harder and harder for small to mid-sized farmers to actually get their product from the field to these institutions, even if there is a school or an early care environment that wants to purchase from them. And so we kind of became procurement experts in um, making those connections and building the supply chain. And at the same time, we wanted to make sure that not only are the kids getting the food in their meals, but they're also getting education about where that food comes from. So we've done a lot around building curricula to support um, farm and food education in the classroom for the kids as well. We have a high school level youth leadership curriculum that we developed with a really awesome ag teacher. Um, and then we also did a farm to early care curriculum where we, we worked with um, partners in the early care world to do hands-on experiential learning activities for preschool age kids to learn about food and farming. And um, we know that those two components together are really what make the kids more likely to eat the food and it actually will benefit the public health in the long term as well as building new markets for farmers to sell their product. Katie, you're uh, 
you focus more on the public health side and also um, you've really dived into the procurement aspects of farmed institutions. So talk about maybe a little bit about the benefits that kids are seeing from having access to local foods. Sure, so one of the most important benefits to farm to early care programs is that we are targeting children um, between the ages of zero and five and this is when their taste preferences and their ideas about food are really being formed. So when farm to school movement got going, um, after a few years people realized, gosh, we're really missing a critical opportunity to, um, to influence kids' taste preferences as they're forming. Um, instead of you know, maybe waiting until they're a little bit older, in which case it, it's, it's more challenging. Um, and from a nutrition perspective, the, that window between zero and five is just a really critical period where um, there's a lot of brain development happening. Um, kids are really, like I said, they're, they're learning about food and they're learning about, um, about eating and what they, what they like and what they don't like. And so um, it's really important to give kids uh, and access to a wide variety of foods. And it's gonna develop their habits and eating for the rest of their lives. Exactly. So um, as we all know, we have an obesity crisis in the United States. And unfortunately that's, that shows no signs of slowing down. But um, we know from research that children who are overweight tend to be overweight as adults. And so the best way to combat that is to prevent people from becoming overweight in the first place. and we, we know that there's research um, supporting farm to school um, programs and children who participate in farm to school programs eat more fruits and vegetables than kids who don't. Mm-hmm. And they're actually more willing to try new foods as well. So that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, we were excited because to have Katie join our program because she actually comes with a background in nutrition. So she brings that expertise and she's a real dietitian, <laughs> which is very helpful for when we're working with our partners. Um, we work a lot with the food service side of things. And so Katie really understands that world and she had a background um, working with Head Starts on their food program and understands the ins and outs. There are a lot of complicated factors when you're working with the federal nutrition programs. So it's really helpful to have her background and understand the actual health benefits um, from from the nutrition standpoint. Mm-hmm. So speaking of federal guidelines and regulations, um, I know in my own brief foray into government procurement that it's a pretty difficult world to navigate. So maybe talk about some of the challenges and how you've navigated having to work with that whole supply chain. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that comes to mind is that uh, when, when you're talking about Head Starts in general, those programs can look very different depending on where you are. Some Head Starts operate out of a school district classroom. Others operate as an independent center. So, um, you know, the food service, depending on where you are, can look very different and um, it can be more or less challenging to build that supply chain. So we've worked with with the, the whole gamut of, of Head Start organizations. And so we have experience, um, whether it's, you know, bringing whole product into a, a kitchen and, and cooking that from scratch, um, or, you know, whether it's working with the local school district and trying to piggyback on, um, on what they're already purchasing. And so you kind of have to set up the supply chain. So you're dealing with the farmers, the distributors, the transportation services, the processors, maybe people in the school district, cooks, 
it, it gets complicated really quick. So what, how do you, how do you navigate that? Like if someone wanted to start that, how, where, where do you even start? Yeah. The first thing we usually do when we have a new partner, we like to start with a conversation with that partner talking about what are their values and what are their goals for their program. So we want to know what's important to them in their community um, and make sure that we're designing our program and kind of adjusting our model that's worked with other programs to work with their own needs. And then um, the first step is really to do a survey of how are you getting your food now? And is there any entry point in that supply chain where we can get the local foods um, kind of integrated into the regular way that you're doing food service? Because that's what's really going to make it sustainable. A lot of people, when they first start, they get really excited um, and they want to do a whole new way of procuring food. And they're, they have a lot of energy at the beginning, so they're going to do that for the local food system. Um, this reminds me of our partner, Haley Anderson, who we worked with in the St. Cloud Reach Up Head Start program. Um, she was really excited her first year, and she really wanted to get food from her local farmers, and they had a very strong commitment. Um, when we talked about what their values were and why they wanted to do this program, what they really wanted to do was support farmers in their immediate vicinity. So for them, local didn't just mean any farmer from Minnesota, but they really wanted farms around St. Cloud. And so to do that, um, we did try to talk to their regular distribution company, but that distributor had a def different definition of local and it didn't fit what ReachUp's kind of goals were. And so Haley was so excited, she made a commitment and she actually was driving around picking up the product in the mornings from those farmers. Um, and, you know, she said that she really enjoyed doing this because she was able to build relationships with those farmers and it really, um, really strengthened those ties for that first year. But Katie and I talked with her a lot about, you know, how are you going to keep this going? How will you make this program sustainable? And we pointed out to her that doing it this way, where, you know, it's all reliant on her driving every morning, um, means that it's, it's really a program that's housed in her as a champion, and it's not kind of getting built into their regular way of doing things. And so for the second year, um, we kind of supported her as she was thinking about how to make it more sustainable, and she was actually able to make a new connection with a local food hub. Um, and they do the aggregation from the local farms, but they actually are working with the farms that St. Cloud um, Head Start wants to support, the really local farms. And then they can actually do the delivery for her, so it's not incumbent on her to be doing all of that legwork herself. And I think the benefit of that is when you think long term, you know, even if, if Haley's sick one day, it doesn't work for, for someone else to have to go do that pickup. Um, and then, you know, if eventually she moves on or maybe she's there for her whole career, but then she retires, you want it to be built into the regular way of doing things. So that's, that's one example of how we kind of um, adjusted over time and tried to build things into the regular way of um, food procurement. I will say too, we try really hard to make our work accessible to people even who we're not formally partnering with. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've done a series of webinars on um, one specifically on local procurement. And so if people are interested, they can go to our website and access that webinar and give, it gives really kind of tangible tips and 
um, sort of expands on what Erin was talking about. Yeah, we kind of walk through the steps that we go through with our partners um, about procurement and building in the, the training. And we do a whole training on the education side of things as well. So if someone is interested, we also made a report on our model. Um, it's kind of a how-to handbook that you can find on our website for free, as well as our farm to early care curriculum. Great. So you had mentioned the food hubs, and I want to touch on that because we've talked about how uh, farm to institution benefits farmers. We've talked about how farm to school and early care benefits kids. But also is the, the benefit to regional and local economies that come from keeping the supply chain local. Um, and food hubs seem to be sprouting up, you know, they're even called sprout. <laughs> um, uh, all over the state and all over the country. Um, can you talk about that, how the local uh, economy benefits from having that in place? Yeah, you know, there have been studies that have shown that for every dollar that you're investing into farm to school programs, you're actually generating an additional $2.16 of local economic activity. And that is really important when you think about um, the ripple effect that that investment has in your community. So you're not only supporting that one farmer, but there are all of these different businesses that might be in your community between you and the farmer. So it might be that food hub, um, it might be a delivery company, it might be a processor, um, and that's creating jobs and keeping the money kind of cycling through the people that are in your community. So when we think about keeping farmers on the land, keeping our rural communities healthy, um, keeping people in those communities, giving them an opportunity to grow and build a career, um, this is one way where you're really making a tangible investment in your community and supporting where you live. And for us, we found that a lot of our partners who are in greater Minnesota really, um, this message really resonates with them because they support their local community, they wanna see it thrive, and this is something that, you know, they're, they're putting their money where their mouth is. They're really supporting their local community. I will say too, um, in terms of kind of going back to the nutrition um, point of view, there's kind of a myth that, um, that farm to school and farm to early care activities are something that's only for a metro area. Mm -hmm. um, but what we've found working with our partners in greater Minnesota, that there really is a gap in the food in the food supply um, or the, the local food chain. Mm -hmm. um, it's very hard for them sometimes to access mm -hmm. local products. And so we feel really proud to be able to, um, to make those connections in greater Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Which since most of the food is being grown there, it's exactly. kind of a problem, right? Yeah, there's kind of a, people find that surprising, but a lot of times um, the rural <coughs> communities really struggle with being able to access those mm -hmm. fresh foods, even if they are being grown there. And it's because of that infrastructure. We had um, partners that we were working with who really had no really good options of distribution companies who would purchase local food that were delivering to them. They really only had a couple options of people who deliver to their area and they were very limited that way. And the food hubs um, actually are a response to that where in fact we're partnering now with the Wilmer Head Start program and there's a new food hub that's starting up there specifically because of this need. There's a demand for local food and there's actually a greater demand than there is ability to get the local foods. And so the, the community there is starting their own food hub. 
um, to do that aggregation and they, they hope to do some processing here in the early stages, but they want to do some processing and then do the delivery for their local um, institutions because people want to buy the food, but there wasn't a way to get it there. Well, this is a really good transition to talking about the farm bill and federal policy because a lot of the, the local food work that we do with farm to institution is creating an alternative market to monocropping and export oriented agriculture and um, but what we've what we found is that you know even though there's demand for local food and these the food hubs are starting out farm to school is very popular we still have federal programs that incentivize the large-scale intensive agriculture and there are some members of congress who uh, want to change that <laughs> and have introduced what's called the local food and regional market supply act the local farms act and um uh, I'm going to bring in Ben Lilliston to the conversation. Uh, ben and Aaron published this blog on our website on Friday about the Local Farms Act. And um, Ben, uh, talk a bit about what the bill is and um, explain the mechanism for how local food, the demand for local food is being undermined by federal policy. Right. Well, our first I would say the system we have is not accidental and it's not a uh, sort of market forces driven it's policy driven and um, the focus of our farm bills um, over the last several decades has really been on producing for the global market supporting uh, mostly global food companies and agribusiness companies to operate in that global market and so the bulk of the farm bill uh, particularly um, commodity payments and insurance programs are set up to incentivize the overproduction, largely overproduction of commodity crops. And then that goes into large scale uh, meat and poultry production. And that exists within this global supply chain. And so as Aaron talked about, we're, we're, we're missing that infrastructure on local foods. And that's because we've really from a policy standpoint, put all our eggs in this sort of global food system basket. And of course, that's been hurtful to farmers. We've seen a loss of small and mid-sized farmers through that process. We've seen a loss of small businesses uh, and rural businesses that are actually based in rural communities. And you have a very extractive system where whatever is produced there is taken out uh, largely by, as I said, mostly multinational uh, agribusiness and food companies. So this is a, the Local Farms Act is an attempt to kind of recognize that and say we need to be investing in this new system. It's a system that you're seeing overwhelming uh, consumer support, um, whether you're going to a grocery store, um, you know, farm to school programs as we talked about, other kinds of institutions. Um, and people just buying directly from farmers, farmers markets, CSAs. People want this kind of, they want to be connected to their farmers. There's health reasons, there's environmental reasons, variety of reasons. And, and the food companies recognize it as well. And they're starting to kind of hedge into that area. Um, but our farm bill is still stuck in this old model and paradigm. And this particular Local Farms Act is, is designed to really invest in farm bill programs that have been successful. These are small programs when you look at the larger farm bill, but they've had a really uh, tremendous success. If you look at a lot of the local food system work in Minnesota and other states, a lot of them got a little bit of help 
for, through the Farm Bill and, and through a number of programs, programs that support farmers markets, uh, programs that support food hubs, uh, programs that support local businesses that want to do processing. Um, there's a big gap in local meat processing. This is a big problem all over the country and uh, Farm Bill has programs related to that. Um, right now, one of the big challenges for local producers is uh, meeting food safety, new food safety guidelines. This is another example of how our system works against um, farmers targeting local markets is they've put in new food safety rules really f designed for big operations because that produces most of the food in the country. That sometimes doesn't work for smaller scale farmers and it becomes really burdensome and costly. So there's uh, programs related to that in this bill. So we'll have to see, but this is, um, I think, a, a continuation of the momentum uh, supporting local foods. And we'll have to see if Congress is willing to take a look at that and start to really expand their investments in local food infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Well, and even if Congress doesn't act, we are actually working on the state level in Minnesota on a farm yep. to school policy. Aaron, can you talk a little bit about that uh, to close us out? Sure, yes. So um, in addition to our support of the federal work that would help these programs, we are part of a broad coalition of many different organizations and stakeholders across Minnesota that are advocating for policy change at the state level to support these programs. Um, other states have done this. It's not a novel idea. And Actually, Minnesota is recognized as a leader in farm to school activity, but we're falling behind as far as our official political support for these programs. Well, and like you had said, um, you've said in past conversations, a lot of it is dependent on big champions like Haley yes. Anderson, who you talked about before. So Exactly. So if these programs are only relying on these champions and then the champions go away, we don't have that institutional support that makes sure that these programs continue. And so what we're trying to get um, passed at the Minnesota State Legislature is support, um, first of all, to offer additional reimbursement money to those schools and early care environments that are purchasing local food. So this is money that they can use to actually reimburse them for buying product from local farmers directly. So this incentivizes them to purchase more from their local farms. Um, and it also, you know, there sometimes can be, there, there is a conception that um, local food can be more expensive. And, you know, if, if they're buying in high season, it's not always more expensive, but it does sometimes take more in labor to process the, the food and cook from scratch. So in the end, it can cost the school or early care environment a little bit more to be serving these local from scratch products. Um, and so this kind of covers a little bit, it'll give them a little bit of a buffer to cover that extra investment that they're making in their local community and their local economy. Um, and because we know of the multiplier effect that they're gonna um, be creating jobs and more economic activity in their local community, we think it's a very sound investment to make. Um, so we're asking for additional five cents per meal for um, purchasing local food for those local local schools to use on purchasing from their local farms. Uh, the other thing that we're asking for is something that our farmer partners have demanded, which is more support um, for them to make the transition to sell to institutions. So if you think about farmers who are used to selling at farmers markets, it's a pretty different business model when they just 
harvest the food when it's ready and bring it to the market once a week. They aren't actually sure how much they're going to sell at that time. Um, it's pretty straightforward, but it's uncertain. So they have to transition to, when they sell to an institution, they have to get a certain amount of product on a certain date, which is a very different way of thinking about their growing and um, harvesting practices. But the good thing about it is that it is a stable market for them. So they know that they're gonna sell, you know, a big chunk of product all at once. But they need to understand how to business, how to plan for their business to do that harvesting at the right time, and then how to get all of the licensing and food safety things in order so that they can sell to institutions. Um, this can be a pretty steep learning curve when farmers are making that transition. And so we'd like to have more positions dedicated to supporting them and making that transition specifically housed with an extension because um, the University of Minnesota Extension has statewide reach and we really want to make sure that we're giving coverage and support to all farmers across the entire state. Those are our two main asks um, and we have seen these things happen in other states so we hope that we can get them passed here as well. Great and then one last thing. Um, there is a, a statewide celebration of Farm to School called the Great Apple Crunch. So can you just give that a plug real quick? Yeah, Katie, do you want to? So the um, October, I should say, is Farm to School and Early Care Month. And in the Great Lakes region, um, we're lucky enough to have delicious apples that are in season um, at this exact time. So on Thursday, October 12th, uh, at noon, across the region, schools and um, early care centers and other institutions will be crunching into their locally grown apples to create a gigantic crunch sound. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's a lot of fun, obviously, for people to participate. And it's, it's a really great way to generate some buzz and excitement around uh, local purchasing. We will all be crunching into apples here at noon on Thursday. For more information on our Farm to Institution program and to read the blog Aaron and Ben wrote on the Local Farms Act, visit our website at www.iatp.org. Next week, we'll have an update from Karen Hansen-Kuhn on the most recent round of NAFTA negotiations going on this weekend in Washington, D.C., and we'll be joined by IATP Europe Director Shafali Sharma to talk about the Canadian-EU Free Trade Agreement and how the global industrial meat complex is profiting from it. Thanks for listening, Doug.